This morning happens to be a special Sunday in church history. This is a Sunday that we celebrate every year. It's one week before the resurrection. It's one week before Jesus rose from the dead. It's the beginning of what we call Holy Week, and it's called Palm Sunday. If you somehow got your hand on a palm branch, whether legally or illegally, I don't want to know about it, but if you somehow got your hand on a palm branch, especially you guys here in the Canadian prairies, if you found a palm branch somehow, extra credit to you. If your kids cut one out of construction paper, Good for them, extra credit to them. For the rest of us, we may just have to wave our hands. We may just have to celebrate in our own way, but it is Palm Sunday. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the original Palm Sunday and how it ties into what we're going through right now, to the opportunities God's put in front of us right now. Uh, Let me just set the stage for you. Uh, Before Palm Sunday, there had already been a couple of trips where Jesus had gone to Jerusalem and uh, preached and taught and in the temple and in other places. And let me tell you, it was not always well received. In fact, the last time he was in Jerusalem, last couple times, they tried to stone him to death. The last time he was in Jerusalem, they, the officials, religious officials, actually sent people to go arrest him, sent officers to go arrest Jesus. And what happened was, is they, they, as these people that came to arrest him got close, they heard his message and they said, we heard what he was saying and we, we just couldn't go through with it. So already, Jerusalem is a place that is not exactly a friendly environment. If you've read your Bible, you know that a lot of Jesus's ministry took place in the countryside. Places like Galilee was kind of a ministry headquarters. That was a place where he taught and he did miracles and and, and the people there received him. For the most part, many of those people had received him and, and, and welcomed him. But Jerusalem was a different story. In fact, if I could take you to a place in John chapter 11, uh, let, me, let me just show you kind of the, the, the feeling at the time of what a trip to Jerusalem might have looked like. In John chapter 11, when Jesus gets word that one of his friends has died, is a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus and his two sisters have been big supporters of Jesus' ministry. They'd been greatly touched by Jesus. And every time Jesus came to Jerusalem, he would stay at their house, which was in Bethany, just about two miles away from Jerusalem. And so they were well known to Jesus, and uh, Lazarus got sick and, and he had died, and word got to Jesus that he was on his deathbed, that he was very ill, and Jesus actually tells his disciples that Lazarus isn't just sick, he's died. And he uses the phrase, and and it's one of the coolest, um, um, most like uh, uh, straight out of a Hollywood movie uh, phrases that Jesus says. He goes, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. And, and, and that, that to me, every time I hear it, just hits a different note for me. And so he says, you know, we're going to go wake Lazarus up. The, the disciples don't want to go. They say, Lord, if he fell asleep, he'll wake up on his own. And Jesus has to speak plainly and say, guys, he's dead. But we're going to go, and, and, and he's going to rise from the dead. And so Jesus says this, and in, in, in John chapter 11, verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The disciples had it in their mind that Jerusalem was such a hostile environment. The last time Jesus was there, they felt like he just barely escaped with his life. And so Thomas says, you know, guys, all right, let's go with Jesus. If he's going to go, let's not let him die alone. We're all going to die if we go to Jerusalem. 
This is not friendly territory. Jesus is a wanted man. But the Passover is coming up, and many people from outside of Jerusalem are about to descend on the city to celebrate this feast, to celebrate this most holy of holidays, the Passover. And so as this begins, as this, as, as this season starts, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. Maybe you're wondering this morning, what parallel does that have to us? What parallel can we find here for, with, with our present reality? And, and I think you or I, no matter where you are, you have felt at times like you weren't always in friendly territory, like uh, you've got good news to share, like you have a belief that's changed your life, like you know a Savior, you know who He is, but that maybe all, that's not always received well. Maybe that's not always something that goes over well. And maybe that could cost you your job or cost you relationships. And maybe, you know, for some people who are watching today, maybe it's even more than that. I know there are places where you could be thrown in prison, or you could be killed for preaching what we preach, for believing what we believe, because there is a hostile environment to the gospel. Well, I want, to, I want you to know that that's not a new thing. In fact, that goes back to the very beginning of our faith. And, and here Jesus was saying, we're going to go to Bethany, which is just a couple miles from Jerusalem. And the disciples say, well, okay, we're all just going to die because that's not a safe place to be. Some of you may know the story of what happens next. Jesus goes and, and the, the sisters of Lazarus say, Lord, if you'd been here sooner, you could have saved his life. Lord, if you'd been here sooner, he might not have died. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you'd believe, you would see the glory of God. Lazarus was dead for four days. His sister said, Lord, don't open the tomb. By this time he stinks. But Jesus said, roll away the stone opened the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And when he said that, Lazarus rose from the dead, came out, bound in grave clothes, and, and Jesus instructed the bystanders to unwrap him. And this was a great miracle. And the Bible says because of this, many more people believed in Jesus. But it also says because of this, the religious leaders were even more determined to kill Jesus. Not only that, but they said, now we're going to kill Lazarus as well. This is the setting in Jerusalem. Jesus, aware of this, the Bible says he is aware of this, so he no longer walks in public amongst these religious leaders and amongst these people. He withdraws to a place that the Bible says is beyond the Jordan. And he goes and he withdraws himself and he's going someplace where he is not immediately being looked for. And then he sets his face to Jerusalem and he goes to Bethany again and then he begins to take the journey to Jerusalem and he's got his disciples with him. And that's where I want to pick up with you. In, in the book of Luke, here's what happens. It says in verse 28, Luke 19, 28. And when he'd said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and when he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, in other words, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Which is a totally reasonable question. Why? Are, I mean, this would be like me saying, you know, hey, there's a car on the side of the road. You're going to find a specific model of car. Get in it. The keys will be in the ignition. Start the car and bring it to me. And, and, and you might say, well, what if someone says, why are you taking the car? Well, that's what the disciples said. They said, you know, what if someone says, why are you taking this colt? Jesus said, just tell them the Lord has need of it and they'll let it go. 
It says, so they, those that were with him went away and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, natural question, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. This was something you would do as a great honor to someone, a great honor for a king or a triumphant hero. You would spread your cloaks on the road saying that, that, that even this road is not worthy of your feet, that, that even, the, even the, the animal that you're riding on should, should be riding on something soft. And so they spread in honor, they spread their coats on the road. And it says, as, they, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they'd seen, all the miracles they'd seen, all the things that they'd witnessed with their own eyes, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, even the very stones would cry out. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, these are the disciples that know that Jerusalem is a place where they're not safe. This is a place where it's dangerous for them. This is a place where they're wanted men. And as they get to the top of Mount of Olives and they begin to descend and they see the city of Jerusalem. If you've been there, you, you can picture the scene as I'm describing it. It's standing on top of the mountain, looking down on Jerusalem as they begin to descend. You can imagine what they might have been feeling. I mean, there might have been a temptation like, hey, if, if Jesus, if you're going to keep going from here, we're going to bless you. See you later. It's been good knowing you. Uh, we'll catch up with you when you come back, if you come back, but you're on your own. But that didn't happen. Instead, what happened was as they began to descend, a roar begins to come out of the crowd. The crowd of disciples that were afraid aren't afraid anymore. I don't know who started it. I don't know what the, the genesis point of this was. I don't know what, what ticked it off or what, what jump-started it, but something happened. They weren't afraid anymore, and they began to loudly, a roar arose. They began to loudly rejoice and praise God. Sometimes us uh, you know, Canadians, when we think of rejoicing, we just think of maybe clapping your hands or maybe a little shout or a song or something. But, but to a Middle Eastern person, especially in that day and age, we find evidence that rejoicing for them was not a calm thing. It was, it was an exuberant thing. It, it, would, it would have involved loud uh, voice. It would have involved movement, maybe even a dance, maybe even a spin. But something was happening and the crowd began to talk, began to praise God for the miracles. And then they said something radical and revolutionary. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is taken from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says, Hoshiana, Hosanna. It says, it says, Lord, save us, we pray. It says, save us, we pray. Save us, Lord. Then it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting this scripture. And, and, and you got to understand, when we say that today, there, there's not a lot about it that hits our ears as super radical, but it would have been at the time. To proclaim Jesus as king is a great way to tick off the Jews and the Romans. It's a great way to tick off everybody. And they're saying, here he is, the king is coming. 
the people that were afraid to go to Jerusalem, the people that were convinced they were going to die, the people that were afraid to go down that mountain aren't afraid anymore. I I see parallels with this today. Here we are um, in in a time where the world is looking for some answers, looking for some hope. And and instead of shrinking into ourselves, what I've seen is I've seen believers, I've seen the church explode onto the worldwide stage and proclaim that there is a savior, that there is a king, that there is hope. When everything we hear, even even stuff that's, that's, I mean, even when we hear accurate information, it strikes fear in our hearts. It strikes panic. And what the believers are saying is, yeah, that may be the case. I'm not saying that's not happening, but I want you to know that there's hope. I want you to know that there's life. I want you to know that there is a savior. And we're seeing it all over the place. I don't know if you've read some of the studies. One, one study out of Copenhagen has told us that, that one of the highest search uh, words on Google now is the word prayer. Prayer has just, whoom, just shot up as far as searched terms that, that all of a sudden an interest and, and a hunger for, for something beyond ourselves, a hunger for spiritual hope and spiritual truth is coming out and the church is meeting it head on. Uh, the, uh, the last couple of weeks on Sunday, we've basically crashed online streaming services a couple of times because the whole uh, Christian world has gone online and flooded the internet with the gospel. It's not just happening from churches or organizations. It's happening on every Facebook, internet, uh, sorry, Instagram, TikTok feed. It's happening on phone calls. It's happening in emails. It's happening in places you wouldn't expect. It's happening on that rare trip to the grocery store as the gospel is not only being preached, it's being lived out. And I know that We'd like to just all admit, we li- I mean, we'd all like to all pretend that we've always been bold and strong, but sometimes that hasn't been the case. Sometimes it was easier to just go with the flow. Sometimes it was easier just to keep your beliefs private, but now is a time where there is a public declaration, a public uh, proclamation of the gospel. People are coming out of their shells, telling the world the good news, and the world is ready to hear it. It's very similar to what happened as Jesus began to descend the mountain towards a city that was dangerous, towards a city where he knew he was going to give his life. He knew he would be executed. He knew this was the place, this was the end of the road for a little bit until he rose again. But it was at this place on the way that a boldness came on his disciples and they began to yell and they began to, to, to shout and they began to proclaim who he was. And, and I want to go even further and read you something from the book of Matthew. I want to read you this from the different uh, books of the Bible, di- different books of the gospel, so that you see a, a full 360 p- picture of what happened. It says in verse 7, they brought the donkey. This is Matthew chapter 20 in verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put him on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Uh, The Bible tells us that they had palm branches. Maybe not all the branches were palm branches, but some had brought palm branches. We don't know where they got them from. There might have been palm trees there at that time. I don't think there are to to this day, but this was 2,000 years ago. And 
and we have historical evidence that on more than one occasion, uh, it was common for them to bring palm branches for a great celebration and lay them down at the feet of a, of a conquering hero, to lay them down at someone that they were celebrating. And so they laid these branches down on the road as a sign of honor, as a sign of celebration. In fact, even going back to Psalm 118, this psalm was used uh, in a certain feast, and, and there was a, a, a song uh, that the, the priests, uh, the priests, the singers uh, that would, would sing this song of, of Psalm 118. And when they'd come to the place where they would reach the crescendo, the high point of the song, singing Hosanna, the, the men and the young men alike would wave palm branches in the air at the singing of Hosanna. And these people are saying, it's happening. It's happening right in front of our eyes. He's here. The scripture is coming true. We're saying Hosanna. Hosanna means save, we pray. Save us, we pray. And here he is. He's here. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are proclaiming that the, he, Jesus is the king and they're proclaiming that he's the long-awaited Messiah, the one that would come to save us, the one that would come to rescue us. That's revolutionary talk. That's talk that could get you put in prison. That's talk that could get you excommunicated. That's talk that could get you killed. And they're saying it loudly. And, the, and, and when, the, when the religious leaders say, teacher, shut your people up, they shouldn't be talking like this. Jesus says, if they don't say it, the rocks are going to cry out. The stones are going to cry out. Here we see in, cha- in Matthew chapter 20, sorry, chapter 21, it says in verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and those that followed him we're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David meant this is the one we've been waiting for in the line of David, uh, from the descendant of David that was promised us. This is the king. This is the Messiah that was going to come and save us. It's this guy. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, I used to hear the story of this parade into Jerusalem, and I just assumed that it was the people of Jerusalem that were happy to see Jesus. But the truth is, the people of Jerusalem either wanted Jesus dead, or they didn't know who he was. Most of, now there there would have been a few who knew he was, but for the most part, they either hated him or they didn't care. But it was these outsiders coming in that said, we've seen him, we know who he is. Our Jerusalem sometimes is that place where we say, if we could just stay in our Galilee bubble, if we could just stay in the place where it's it's accepted that we worship Jesus, it's accepted that we're believers, it's accepted that we believe the Bible, uh, then we'll all get along and we can all sing our songs and be happy. But God is calling you to a place where people who don't yet know Jesus, who don't yet know the good news, need to hear it. I'm aware that even today, There are some watching this stream and you're one of those people who is saying, who is this Jesus? Not that you've never heard about Jesus, not that you're not aware, but you don't really know him. You've heard about him, but you don't really know him. And maybe one of your friends was like one of these disciples that said, this is the one that you've been waiting for. This is who you've been looking for, Jesus Christ. This is the best thing, the most loving thing we could ever do I mean, yes, we should be 
passionately giving. We should give our time. We should give out from ourselves. We should, we should help the poor. We should help the needy. We should help and, and pray and support in whatever way we can the healthcare workers and those that are serving our community. But also one of the greatest things we can do is to open our mouths and tell of the goodness and the reality of Jesus Christ. The reality of what God has done for us. The reality of what God wants to do for anyone who will receive him. And this is what happens. The whole city is saying, who is this guy? Who is this person that they're talking about? And it says there were those that went in front of Jesus and there were those that went behind him. And they were saying, this is the king. This is the Messiah. And in uh, the book of Mark, we see it like this. In Mark chapter 11, they bring the colt, they bring this, this, this beast of burden that's never been ridden before, and Jesus is riding it. Now, come on, some of you rodeo folks, hey, how, how many of you would love to just get on an animal that's never been ridden before and try it for the first time? That's the, the, Jesus was a, a rodeo rider, I guess. He, but uh, we, we, <laughs> we know this animal didn't fight him. We know that the peace that was on Jesus rested on this animal. And this animal began, brought Jesus into the city. This, this, this was proof that God uses people at every step of the way. God used a person to provide the vehicle that Jesus would ride on. God used people to announce that Jesus was coming. God used people to preach the scripture that Jesus was living out. God used people to honor him with worship. And then it says this in in Mark chapter 11. It says those in verse nine, those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. I want to read you one more version of this story. All of these versions are true, but they're happening from different angles. And so when we read them all, we get a picture of what really happened. In the book of John, John is the one that told us about what happened to Lazarus. And we pick up again in John chapter 12. It says in verse 12, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So this is a different group. We've heard about the disciples that were coming with Jesus from Bethany. We've heard about the disciples that were following him and and, and began to lift their voice loudly as he began to descend the mountain. But there's another group. You see, during this feast, people are coming from all over to Jerusalem. And a lot of these people are people that have experienced the ministry, the miracles, the power of Jesus in their own home country. And so they're coming from Galilee. They're coming from Jericho. They're coming from Samaria. They're coming from different places. Maybe not Samaria, but they are coming from different places to Jerusalem. And they hear that Jesus is coming. And it says, when they heard this, they took the branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear 
witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet, went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. You see, to the, to the Jewish people, to raise someone from the dead after under three days of being dead was a miracle, no doubt, but it wasn't a great and mighty sign because they still believed, many of them believed that the spirit, the soul hung around the body for three days. Now, I don't believe that, but they believed that. And so to them, the great sign of the Messiah was that someone would be raised from the dead after three days. And when they heard about this, they wanted to see who this was and they came to him. And it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. This is the story of Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem. How does that tie into you today? First of all, just take in the story and be excited. This is, this is such an amazing testimony of, of what God always does. You see, throughout history, when God sends redeem, a redeemer, when God sends a rescuer, when God sends help, he tells his prophets, he tells his people, he sends someone ahead. The Bible told us, I mean, how many books of the Bible told us that the Messiah was going to come in the Old Testament? Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, they foretold that he would come. And then the Bible in a prophecy said that when he did come, God was going to send someone in the spirit of Elijah that would go ahead of Jesus and prepare the way of the Lord and proclaim his coming. God did that through John the Baptist. But then again, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem for this final trip, this, this trip to the cross and to the resurrection, he has sent his own people to go and prepare the way and shout his arrival and, and, and shout to the city that they used to be afraid of here here he is. Here's your king. We are gathered today in an online space. This is something that wouldn't have been possible decades ago. This is something that, that if we had been quarantined at our homes uh, years and years ago, I don't know what we would have done, but it wouldn't have been this. But now we are able to, to not only hear the word of God, not only to worship, but we are able to spread the good news at a rate that the world's never seen before. And perhaps, just perhaps, we've looked at um, uh, our online platforms. We've looked at our friends and our coworkers and our family, and we've looked at them with a little bit of fear. Maybe, maybe you've been afraid and said, you know, people don't like when you talk about religion or politics, and, and they don't like when you talk about these touchy subjects, and maybe you felt like it's just not, uh, it's not always comfortable to be a Christian. Well, that's true. It's not always comfortable to be a Christian. Jesus told us it wouldn't be comfortable. In fact, he said, if the world hated me, they'll hate you. But there's an opportunity. There are ears that are finally open. There are people that are looking for the answer. And there's only one answer I know of. And that is Jesus. That is that God sent salvation. Jesus' name, Yeshua, in Hebrew means the Lord salvation, the Lord saves. And, and I want you to know that's exactly what he came to do. Here we are approaching our Jerusalem, approaching this, this, this massive audience that may be skeptical, that may be hostile, that may be just curious. And you've had an opportunity to say, I know who this king is. And you see, I, I see a couple of things that happen. Number one, God used people 
for resources. God used people to provide the vehicle that Jesus would come in on. Number two, God used people to announce his arrival. And, and this is what they did with one voice. I, have you ever been to a sports event where everybody chanted something at the same time? It's the coolest thing in the world. I, I'm a big soccer fan and uh, my friend Neil and I have gone uh, to, to uh, a Vancouver Whitecaps game in Vancouver, which is our favorite soccer team. And we go and we, we've stood with the supporters. See, I've been at other games with my family. We just sat with the rest of the crowd. But I, my friend and I went to stand with the supporters of this team. And when you stand with the supporters, you never sit down. At a soccer game in the supporter section, you don't sit. You stand and you sing and you chant the whole game. You jump, you, you do whatever the actions are, and there's usually a leader that's leading you, that's, that's leading you in these chants and songs so that everybody does it together. It is an amazing experience. And, and I can tell you the only thing that's ever surpassed it as far as a crowd experience, the only thing that's ever surpassed it is being in church with the people of God. Because when you're singing the same song and we're dancing to the same uh, praise, praising God, there's nothing that even comes close to that. But when, the, when a cha- crowd begins to chant together, begins to sing together, begins to say something together, there's a different kind of feel to it. There's a different power to it. And the crowd began to say together, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. As they began to say it together, the whole city heard who Jesus was. But the Bible tells us that there were other conversations taking place. As they were going, it says the crowd began to testify about the miracles Jesus had done. They began to testify about, what, about the miracle they saw where Lazarus got up from the grave. That's not something that happens all at once. That, that's not something you can testify at the same time. That's happening on the side of the road. That's people talking to their friends or some strangers that are asking what's going on. That's one-on-one conversations. Let me tell you who this man is. Let me tell you about the miracles I've seen. You see... There's a time and a place, the book of Romans says that with one voice, we're going to glorify God. With one voice, we're going to talk about who God is. And there's a time where we, where we send the same message out at the same time, standing together, united, saying, Jesus is Lord. There's good news. He's risen from the dead. He's alive today. But God has also chosen you not just to be a part of a massive uh, voice, but he's also called you to be an individual voice. He's also called you to be a voice at a local level, at, at a level that God has placed you in, where you have people that you're talking to that I don't talk to. You have people that, that, that know you and love you that, that don't know me and don't know others, but they know you. And as Jesus entered Jerusalem, it says they were testifying about what they'd seen. They were telling people about the miracle of Lazarus. And so God, yeah, it's wonderful when we can share a message on Facebook or or YouTube. We can share it on Instagram. We could say, look, you should listen to this message. You should listen to what's happening over here. But it's something else entirely when you begin to open your mouth and say, but let me tell you what I've seen. Let me tell you what God's done for me. Let me tell you about the miracles I've experienced. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. Let me tell you about the power of God. God will use your voice. You know what's funny about this parade? During this whole triumphant entry into Jerusalem, not once does Jesus begin to talk about himself. During this whole triumphant entry, we don't have any recorded words of Jesus until he says, if they don't talk, the rocks are going to cry out. See, we think that we should just let the preacher preach. But there's a time where it's not the 
it's not the, the guy with the microphone. It's not the guy on the stage that's got to do the preaching. There's a time where God's given it to us. And Jesus led his disciples, led his followers, let the people that saw the miracles with their own eyes, he let them do the talking. Maybe you just thought, it's somebody else will preach it. Somebody else will say it better than me. There is nobody who is better equipped to touch your world, the world around you, with good news than you, you believer full of the Spirit of God. God has anointed you. He's called you for this time. And if you're watching today and you say, but I'm not a believer, I'm kind of curious about this, or, or maybe I've been looking for some answers, or maybe I've been far from God and, and something's been drawing me and I'm just watching this looking for hope, I've got hope for you. The gospel has come to your house. You didn't, you didn't, maybe didn't come out of your house to find Jesus, but Jesus came to your house to find you. Don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your day of visitation. The Bible says he stands at the door and he knocks. And if anyone will let him in and, and say, come in, he will come into your home. And the Bible says he'll come into your home and he will eat with you. Jesus is knocking at our door. He's standing at your door and he's saying, will you let me in? What an exciting time to be alive. We who have seen the goodness of God. In a time of sickness, we know Jesus the healer. In a time of isolation, we know Jesus the reconciler. In a time of depression, we know Jesus our hope. In a time where people are going to hell, we know Jesus who died to save us from hell. If somebody told you that God wants to send people to hell, they haven't read the Bible, they haven't read the Gospels, Jesus died so he could save you from it, and it's a free gift to anyone who will receive it. Church, will we be the ones who over, come over the crest of the mountain and look down at a world that's listening? Look down at a world that maybe at times was hostile or maybe at times was apathetic, and will we open our mouths in a roar? Will we open our mouths in a roar and begin to say, this is who the king is? The, the Bible actually says in the Old Testament, get yourself on a high place and say, here is your God. There's a time to put our voices on loud, to put our voices on max, to crank them to 11 and say, we've got good news. And there's also a time for those conversations on the side of the road those conversations on the side of the road where you're saying, let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I've experienced firsthand. I'm not just telling you stories. I have lived it. This is who he is. And there's another element here. As much as today I've talked about reaching the world with good news, telling people about Jesus, I also want to tell you that before they did that, they gave him worship. Sometimes we can be so focused on the rest of the world that's listening, we forget that our number one audience is the king himself. As, as important as it was for them to announce Jesus to Jerusalem, it was also important that they laid their coats down and they laid their palm branches down and they opened their mouths and they worshiped the king and they said, blessed is he. We bless you. Blessed is he who's come in the name of the Lord. I want you to know that God has put it in your mouth to bless the Lord. He has given you a heart of worship. And so in all of this time, sometimes we get so focused on re outreach, 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 and I thank God for it, but we can't forget we've been created to worship. 
So in your opening of your mouth, don't forget to take time to just worship God, to honor Him, to give Him glory, to love on Him and to thank Him for what He's come to do. And this week, we're going to be leading up to Good Friday. This Friday is Good Friday where Jesus, where we remember the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And He did that not because He was a criminal. He did that because He loved you. And He took your punishment. He took our shame. He took my place. When he did that, he did that for all of us. And then we're going to move from Good Friday to Sunday. That's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the King, the triumph of Jesus over death. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. This is one of the most exciting weeks in Christian history. And so I want you to know that God has put you in a unique position to tell the world something that they need to hear. Every single person on the planet needs this good news.